welcome to the Staying Ageless podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we'll be chatting about how to break the cycle of addiction. To get this longevity party started, I'm going to chat with you about some ways to break bad habits, and later we'll chat with Carlos Lyons, a mental and holistic health advocate and therapist. I am so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show from all over the world. Major shout out to listeners in Sweden, Germany, France, Mexico, Great Britain, Canada, and the USA. I appreciate you all. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and please rate the show on Apple Podcasts and write a review. It means the world to me to get feedback, so any reviews are much appreciated. Today on the show, I'm excited to chat about habits. It's one of my favorite topics. If you don't already know, your habits can make or break the direction you're going in life and the direction you're going with your health. The method that I take my clients through to develop positive habits, which I call my CATI method, C-A-A-T-I, and it stands for clarify, assess, activate, test, and then implement. The clarify part is really identifying the broader compelling vision of the new you, especially your new identity. So this is when you really, really imagine what kinds of results this new you has because of the habits you've already cultivated. You're also going to think about the long-term benefits you're going to derive from living into it. It's always way more effective to focus on what you have to become to get the results you want than just on specific outcomes. And I've seen it with client after client. Next, you want to assess where you are right now. So what habits are going to take you to where you want to go? Most of the time, we're in complete denial about how bad our habits actually are because they become unconscious. So for example, if you're interested in improving your health and then tracking your food and exercise or getting your blood work or assessing your nutritional status are simple ways that you can actually determine where you currently stand. You have to figure out where am I now and not be in denial anymore in order to move forward. So assessment is about looking at what am I actually doing? What negative consequences can these habits have on me now or in the future? Once you've done this and asked yourself some questions, you can activate your new behaviors through learning which of the six human needs your current behaviors are meeting. So you can release any subconscious programming that stands in the way of creating these new habits and then put pressure on yourself through accountability. Now, what I just said was very complicated, but if you listen to this podcast, you know I've talked about the subconscious mind. So you can go back and listen to an amazing episode with Bianca DeGroat, who I hope we'll have on the podcast again soon, about you know how to get to the subconscious root of your behaviors. And when I talk about accountability, I'm talking about your friends, the tough friend though, not the friend who's going to be like, girl, you miss your workout, no problem. You need a tough friend trainers, um, people who hire me as their nutritionist or hire any member of our team. They're looking for accountability through nutrition. So sometimes it's an expert um, or someone that you're hiring to serve as your accountability or a group. If you do a challenge, a fitness challenge, a workout challenge, a detox, all these kinds of things, sometimes the group pressure actually gives you enough accountability to move forward. And that's why 
for me, community is the most powerful way to create accountability. So you're basically joining a community of others with the same mission. And that's essentially what I've done for myself with the Ageless Tribe, the women who take my course, staying Ageless 30 plus, which is coming back again soon, guys. Um, Not only do I get to help them transform their health in the group, I also anchor myself in my own vision through the community of women who take the course because we motivate each other to commit to our daily habits that help us stay ageless. So after you activate, you can then test out your new habits and adjust accordingly. This involves figuring out how to design an environment that supports the new habits with cues set up to help you follow through. There's a lot behind that, but I'm just giving you the gist, the overview. So you want the right time of day to perform them. You also need to pay attention to what kind of pressure actually works for you. Maybe having a trainer as your accountability partner is the best for you, or maybe um, having a friend is just enough. So you got to figure that out for yourself. To make your habits stick longer term, you need to make your good habits easy, accessible, and achievable within your actual lifestyle. Part of the reason why some people grab fast food is because it's fast. If you meal prepped and you had a healthy meal prepared and available, you'd likely grab that first. So if you know ideally you want to prepare more homemade meals, but you never get around to it, get a meal delivery service or get some prepackaged healthy meals from the grocery store or those really simple meals that can be thrown together. Now they have all these bagged vegetables and different things for those who are lazy or busy. Um, just to allow yourself to make a simple leap forward. So always work with and not against your lifestyle. And then last but not least, you implement or repeat these habits for an extended period of time. So when people take my Staying Ages 30 Plus class, they're with us for a total of two months or eight weeks. The actual implementation period is one month, but really they almost get two full months of of starting on these habits because we start very early in the program. So some say 21 to 30 days is the minimum, but it really is a continuous process. And some habits actually may need longer than a month to form and stick. So to get rid of bad habits, you need to make those habits difficult, invisible, unattractive, and unsatisfying. For example, if you want to stop eating processed foods and soda, don't buy them. Don't have them easily available to grab in your kitchen or your workspace. Generally, in my line of work, unfortunately, people don't become unsatisfied with their negative habits until they produce visible visible and undeniable negative results, such as weight gain or a diagnosis with a chronic health condition. But there's always a layer that runs deeper. And so what I do is I help my clients also demystify the why behind their negative habits. Essentially, what reward are you deriving from doing it? And then we want to replace that negative habit with something more positive that gives you the same reward. This releases you from the need to do it. If you simply tell someone to stop, Um, doing whatever it is, if they're addicted, they can't because their habit was meeting a specific need for them. So to permanently change our habits, you have to expose the subconscious mechanisms behind the ones that you want to change. All right. So you can also identify the pressures or external forces that causes you to do your negative habits and work to address each one. For example, if you only binge drink or smoke with a certain peer group, removing yourself from that circle would immediately allow you to take leaps and bounds to stopping that habit. It's much harder with the external social pressure. When you're breaking a bad habit, you can also use visual cues to make a habit unsatisfying. For example, if you smoke and you want to stop, put a sticker on your lighter that reminds you that smoking kills um, while taking other steps to find a habit that you can replace it with that gives you a similar reward. 
one thing that I've done for some of uh, my friends or clients that have smoked is I also try to give them a placebo. Like I give them herbal cigarettes or something that's replacing it. That's not doing the same damage just in the immediate so that they can exercise the habit without um, continuously doing damage to their health. But beyond that, they would also need to identify what needs the act, the smoking in this example would fulfill for them so that they could release um, and replace that with, with something more constructive. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to chat with our amazing guest for today. I am super excited to announce the launch of the new destination I created for online programs called Staying Ageless University. At Staying Ageless University, we create epic content to teach you about holistic wellness and transformational healing programs to help you achieve extraordinary longevity. We believe that learning is an essential component of healing and creating lasting change, and every one of our programs are created from protocols that I have tried and tested on clients who have achieved optimal wellness by following them. Our signature programs include Staying Ageless 30 Plus, which is designed to help women 30 plus interested in staying fly till you're 99 or close to it, create lasting healthy rituals, and the all-new Raw Girls Hormonal Balancing Academy for women suffering with fibroids, PCOS, endometriosis, cysts, or menopausal symptoms if you're ready to use holistic means to take control of your hormones and get your life back. We also have two new programs that are amazing for New Year's clean starts, Detox Your Life, which includes 30-day plant-based detox, either raw or vegan, and Candida and Parasites Be Gone for those who are ready to kick Candida overgrowth or parasites to the curb for good. Enrollment is now open for three of our programs, and we officially launched January 1st, 2021. You can learn more about us and our program offerings at stayingagelessuniversity.com. Hope to see you in class. When I lived in LA, I was at the beach all of the time. (laughs) The beach was my happy place. After going to the beach, I would always stop by this amazing raw food restaurant. They had the most delicious food, burritos, cinnamon rolls. I was obsessed. Fast forward to this year when I wanted to give myself a jumpstart on raw, I discovered that this amazing restaurant that I used to frequent had transitioned to nationwide delivery of fully prepared raw meals. It's called Raw Evolution, and for 20 years, they've been serving the finest and most vibrant living foods meals. They offer a raw box, which includes two fresh pressed juices, four gourmet entrees, four generous sides, and two delicious low glycemic desserts. The raw box is designed to provide one person with about four to five days of lunches and dinners. I also love that the menu changes each week, so there's always lots of variety. I get a lot of inquiries from listeners and clients alike who want to go raw and feel like it's not sustainable time-wise. If this is you, this is an amazing solution to get your raw jumpstart. Head on over to rawvolution.com and use the code rawgirl to receive a discount on your first purchase. Today's guest is Carlos Lyons, a mental and holistic health advocate and therapist located in Dallas, Texas. He received a Master of Arts in Counseling from Dallas Seminary and a Bachelor of Arts in Communication from Belhaven University. Carlos is an avid foodie and has been vegan for the past two years. During his plant-based journey, he has discovered the importance of a holistic model for treating mental health and physical ailments. With this passion, he advocates for mental and holistic health in his therapeutic practices. Carlos is a true Southern gentleman, born and raised in Tennessee. He moved to Mississippi as a preteen and eventually moved westward with his lovely wife to Texas in 2016. 
Currently, Carlos practices therapy at Lifeology Oak Cliff and Base Point Academy with a focus on substance abuse, stress and anger management, couples therapy, men's issues, and minority issues. Thank you so much, Carlos, for joining me on Staying Ageless. I'm really excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here as well. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to talk to you about addiction and mental health and what you do with your patients. But I want to start with what made you decide to become a therapist in the first place? I think we need more men of color in that space. So it's really awesome to see you doing the work that you do. Absolutely. So my journey into the mental health profession, I would say that I didn't actually start off as a youngster saying, hey, I want to become a therapist. I want to go into the mental health profession. I really say that this um, career choice really found me. And at the right season, the right time of my life, I really came into this profession. And so after having my own, I would say, existential crisis, uh, trying to know what my identity was, what my purpose is, um, why am I on this planet? Really just kind of going through a lot of those kind of big life questions and trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing is what led me into going into the mental health profession. And so I went back to school, got my degree um, at Dallas Theological Seminary here in Dallas, Texas. And it was honestly just the best decision that I say that I could have ever made in my adult life, just switching up my, my career. And what's interesting about it is also that I, as a kid, I've always kind of really been big into interpersonal relationship, conflict resolution, you know, being that mature kid who still has his, his kid side, but also being around a lot of older adults, you know, I kind of grew up a little faster in, in some ways or, or matured in some ways faster. And so even with that, just seeing a relational relationship conflict within my own uh, family, between my mom and stepdad and all that kind of stuff really made me more aware of those kinds of issues. And I mm-hmm. used to be a fan of like Dr. Phil growing up, you know, shows like that where they had psychotherapists on or Oprah always had some kind of deep revelatory episode on her talk show. So I remember watching that kind of stuff and being intrigued by it, but I never thought of myself as going into that profession. So now that I'm mm-hmm. here, I really say that it was a God ordained move for me to be here. Um, I love the work that I do as a therapist. It is, I'm really passionate about it. It is very fulfilling uh, just getting to see the kind of people and the kind of things that I get to see on a regular basis in my outpatient setting, as well as an intensive outpatient setting. Uh, and then also getting to work with minorities is really a big passion of mine. So I work mm. with a lot of teens and adolescents. Get to see a lot of young black men in my office, my outpatient setting. And that's just really encouraging and motivating. And one of the things that I love about that as well is that I see a lot of myself in the people that I work with. So right. not, not necessarily that every single thing they go through, I've gone through, but I can see a lot of correlation in their life experiences and my life experiences and being able to relate to them and have empathy for them where they are to help them through their change process. Yeah, I'm so glad you you talked about that just because I really do think it is super in, it's a super important part of care from any type of health profession, mental health, physical health, whatever, because we're we're seeing a lot of racial bias and microaggressions come up as an issue. My patients deal with it all the time and they're always telling me these crazy stories. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what is the disconnect? And and there's something that happens when you can look at someone and at least be like, that could be my sister or that could be me when I was younger or mm-hmm. 
whatever it is. That is, I think, important to the kind of care. I mean, I would hope that any health professional will be able to deal with any race in a fair and just and empathetic manner. But unfortunately, it's come across my desk that there's just so many women having horrible experiences when they're not dealt with, um, when they're not dealing with people of color or that are empathetic um, and also servicing them, either in the mental health or doctors or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, representation matters. It, it matters in every area of our life, you know, from entertainment to sports to healthcare. That representation matters. And we see it's just kind of an innate thing in us, you know, um, to see similarities and commonalities amongst people. Sometimes, obviously, the first thing that we notice is how a person looks. And for some reason, that just makes us feel more comfortable with, with certain types of people. But yeah, yeah, I do get to work with a diverse population. Like I, I see, um, of course, I see black men, I see uh, couples. I see a lot of adolescents. I have uh, clients that are from the LGBTQI community. So it's a really diverse opportunity for me to really relate and see people from different walks of life. Mm. Are there a lot of common things that all of these people from different walks of life are struggling with that you find as like a recurring theme in your office? Absolutely. There's always a there's always a presenting issue of something that, well, with any mental health thing, it's it's about uh, probably stress, anxiety, depression are probably some of the major things that I see. In my intensive outpatient setting, I'm dealing with kids that are high risk with suicidal ideation, self-harming. And so Mm. life in some way or another in their life has become unmanageable and they've turned Mm. to cutting. They've turned to trying to commit suicide. They've turned to Mm. drugs and alcohol. They may have sexual trauma. And I just think a lot of the commonality for all of us is that there's something that has happened or we're just not able to achieve homeostasis in our mental health and in our in our physical health. And so I think the commonality in all of them is that they're trying to achieve some type of balance in their life. Yeah. Hmm. And sometimes that trauma, well, let's talk about addiction. So sometimes okay. trauma can also lead to addiction, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess, what are the common ways that you've noticed that what leads us to get addicted in the first place? Like what can lead us down that pathway? Yeah. So like you said, there are a lot of different ways um, and I guess you could say open doors into the world of addiction, uh, whether it is from a traumatic circumstance, uh, for instance, it was sexual trauma and it may lead to a form of sexual addiction um, or gender uh, identity things. All of that can happen or the kind of addictions that I see commonly with like drug and substance abuse. I, I would say like grounding it in that, it's usually because of something like irritability, discontentment with life, um, just boredom, you know. Uh, but then also curiosity. Well, a lot of teenagers and a lot of young people, curiosity leads them into addictive patterns, whether it be the cell phone, uh, whether it be YouTubing, whether it be porn, you know, uh, whether it be food, and then also, of course, alcohol and other types of traditional things we think about when we think of drugs. Uh, it could just be a form of curiosity in the beginning. And then when the brain gets hooked on it because of the dopamine and the reward uh, pathway that's being created from that continual stimulation, uh, then it becomes an impulse and it becomes compulsive and an addictive pattern in their life. And what a lot of times you'll mm-hmm. see is that when they move from the irritability and the boredom and the discontentment or the just area of curiosity, 
they're using this specific thing to fill some type of void, you know, mm-hmm. so whether it's loneliness, whether it's unfulfillment in other areas of my life. And so if I continue to eat a certain way, that feeds my addiction. If I like emotional eating is a real thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> eating when you're sad in a certain way. And it's usually comfort food, sweets and refined carbs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then if it's alcohol, numbing, a lot of them talk about escaping the reality, you know, numbing the pain of the reality, wanting to feel something different than their yeah. current reality. Hmm. So are you helping people get to the root cause of these things? So they're they're bored, they're numbing, but is part of the work like actually getting to what is underneath all of that? Absolutely. I think I would be doing them a disservice as a therapist if I wasn't addressing the root causes of the issue. And in the intensive outpatient setting I work in, we have a collaborative team. So there's a team of therapists, there's an MD who's a psychiatrist, there's a nurse on staff here. And we're always in treatment team discussing like what things are, are coming up. So from the therapist perspective, I'm definitely like my job is to really uncover some of those uh, challenges that they're having, root causes, really addressing those traumas, really addressing um, what's underneath the reason behind these uh, thoughts that we're having or cutting, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The psychiatry comes in, you know, when we think about the, the medicine and the medicinal side of things just to kind of help them regulate. You know, if they are outside of their um, daily, if they're not able to function in reality of daily life, sometimes we'll go into the medical uh, space with introducing certain types of drugs and all that. Now, me personally, because I'm really holistic in my therapy outlook, you know, Mm -hmm. I would say I don't want to push meds on people, although that's a part of, you know, the work that I do in in one of my jobs. I would definitely say, let's talk about, like I said, the root causes, but then I like to check in with my clients. I, I like to address like, how are you feeling mentally today? How are you feeling emotionally, mm-hmm. physically? Because we know they're all intertwined. Yeah, no, totally. That's that's something that I really wish was talked about more and that I wish that more people with mental health issues also saw a holistic nutritionist or practitioner, functional medicine doctor, somebody who might be able to assess nutritional deficiencies because on my end, I'm seeing tons of anxiety that's coming from magnesium deficiency. Mm-hmm. I see um, there are some people, I actually worked with clients where I've worked with them and their psychiatrist or their therapist to find meds that are not going to cause long-term nutrient deficiencies. Because sometimes yeah. these drugs, strangely enough, deplete some of the <laughs> nutrients we need um, to actually have a good mood. So it's kind of weird because they yeah. can work to some degree, but then long-term you're depleting these nutrients that you really need, like a lot of B vitamins and stuff like that. Absolutely. So yeah, I found that I really wish that there was more of a, just like you were saying, a team approach, but like a team approach looking at like, okay, let's support this person from a nutritional lifestyle perspective, because even the the serotonin boost that they're trying to get from the drugs it's like let's get them hooked on exercise or Mm. you know yeah so if it came from that perspective and they were talking through all their stuff i feel like it could be a more powerful and more lasting way of helping people rather than just medicating them absolutely absolutely and we've become so dependent upon medicine and pills and the quick fix that uh 
the holistic approach to life is kind of foreign to a lot of people. And I noticed that mm -hmm. when I talk to folks in my outpatient setting, they're just like, I had a client yesterday who was literally like, he didn't really put two and two together, how food can affect your, your mood mm -hmm. and how exercise and things like that. If you're having, if you're having imbalance in the physical part of your life, it can most definitely affect the mental part of your life. You know, so For we sure. always check in and say, how much are you sleeping? What are your sleep habits like? What's your sleep hygiene like? A lot of yeah. these things can have a profound effect on our mental state. Yes, no, for sure. And we've talked a lot about on this podcast about the gut brain connection and like the massive connection between our gut and, you know, and these mental health issues. So what would you say are some steps that someone can take if they're trying to break addiction? Because I feel like we're all like, okay, it's possible to get addicted. We know that's true. But what do we do? Because when you're in it, it feels like it can't stop for a lot of people, especially once they've created that habit loop. It just keeps happening and happening and happening again. Yeah. So the first thing, obviously, is acknowledging there is a problem. And mm -hmm. there's this thing we call the stages of change, uh, really, this really popular model within the addictions world. Um, but the stages of change. So if a person is moving from a pre-contemplative state to a contemplative state of understanding, okay, there might be an issue here, but then they're bringing it to their consciousness and saying, okay, there is an issue. Then their likelihood of moving through the stages of change from just making some preparations for it to quality action steps to maintenance of those changes, mm -hmm. um, then you'll see progress and success on the other end. So once we brought it into our consciousness, now it's the preparation phase. So there's always, you know, with all of my patients, I implement SMART goals. How do you want to move through in our course of treatment? How do you want to move through and have some specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely goals in order to get on the other side of this addiction? And so that's also, when we do SMART goals, that's identifying some actual coping skills. Because right now, the, the skills that you are using to get through life are maladaptive, which means mm -hmm. they're negative, they're bad, and they lead to negative consequences, right? Mm -hmm. So let's develop some other coping skills. What are other things that you can incorporate in daily life? Is it is it taking walks? Is it exercising? Is it journaling? Is it meditation? Is it yoga? Uh, we're mm -hmm. talking about nutrition here. So what are your eating habits like? All these kinds of things can help. With um, see, because what you have to do is with the addictive pattern, with the addictive coping skill, you have to find a replacement. That's literally what's happening. You have to find an adequate coping skill and replacement for the addictive behavior. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because I'm a behavioral change coach. So I focus on what is what is the need that this behavior is fulfilling and how right. do I then find an adequate replacement? Because you can replace things. And then fools will be at KFC and Chick-fil-A the right. next day. And right. I haven't found the right replacement. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And so with that, with the preparation, so once you've moved from preparation, then it's time to move into action. And when we move into the action phase, that's where I'm checking in with you. I'm asking you, you know, how is your how are you keeping up with this goal? How is it serving you? Do we need to make revisions to make it more achievable? Because if you say I'm I'm going to go cold turkey and there's going to be no more challenges ever. That's probably a chance for relapsing. Right. And right. so relapse is a very real thing, but, but don't get stuck in relapse. Don't get stuck in the oops. I did it again kind of phase. I, I fell into this <laughs> once again. Like 
once we've done that, if it, if it does move into that, we have to pick up and keep moving. And then when we move from action, it's the area of maintenance that's really important. But also I, you know, in the addictions world, this is just my personal conviction. A lot of people identify as being their addiction. I do mm-hmm. kind of have an issue with that. Like, you know, I'm an addict and they've been mm-hmm. in recovery for 20 years. That's mm-hmm. just my personal idea. Like, I don't want to say I want to identify with my addiction. However, I will say that I understand why they do so is because they're saying that there's always this one of the terms that's using addiction talk is there's an allergy. There's a a bent towards this sickness. This mental sickness is how they put it with addiction. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. always an opportunity to go back into those old habits. And that is very true. But it's all about a mind shift. It's all about mm-hmm. a perspective shift. And I would say when it gets to the maintenance section, it's keeping up those uh, those daily tasks that you're doing to stay on the other side of the addiction, but also doing that identity work as well. You know, where are you drawing yeah. your self-worth from? Where are you drawing your self-acceptance, your self-esteem? Uh, what is your purpose? All of these kinds of questions, like I said earlier for me, I was having an existential crisis. Once I was able to figure out exactly what my purpose and life calling is, it makes it a lot easier for your actions to fall in line with where you're headed. A lot of times when you feel like you have no direction, uh, then all your actions are in, uh, inconsistent. Hmm. Yeah, no, good stuff. I totally agree with not identifying with your whatever it is. I try to get people to not be like, I have cancer, just call it the cancer or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And that's because I want there to be a separation because, but the thing that's really tricky with addiction is I think that in the saying that I'm an addict or whatever, they're also finally acknowledging that there's a problem where before yeah. they were ignoring it and kind of like right. pushing through the rug. So it's a really tricky balance, I think, because I think after you acknowledge it, there does have to be this thing where I'm, you do have to create a new, a bridge, like a new identity that now takes you away from that to this is my new space. I'm no longer identifying with that at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can still, you can still take ownership of your actions Mm. without saying that I am this all the time. You know, you can still take responsibility. Like I have an addiction issue. I have a mental health issue. I have some challenges. I'm dealing with those. Like, it's just about, I think you talk about behavioral health. So like when you think of, I do a lot of kind of CBT stuff with, which mm-hmm. is cognitive behavioral therapy. And so when we're talking about thought patterns, we're talking about negative thought patterns that we have, and we're talking about reframing those thought patterns. You do have to acknowledge, I do have like a chronic issue with these negative thought patterns about myself, mm-hmm. like how mm-hmm. I think about myself, negative self-talk, negative mm-hmm. self-loathing, low self-esteem, kinds of thoughts that kind of come in our head on a daily basis. And the work that we have to do is first notice it, you know, acknowledging that it's there, but then also finding evidence to support or deny this truth claim that's coming to us. Like, is this really the Mm. truth that I want to stand in? And if Mm. I can find evidence to not support it, then I'm going to reframe it into something else for a different type of thought pattern. And do you find that that works longer term? Like if you're trying to renew someone's mind, the reframing process, does that really stick? Because I feel like some people almost feel like, they're, you know, like when people say affirmations, but they mm-hmm. really don't mean it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're yeah. like, I am abundant. Meanwhile, they're, you know what I mean? They're broke. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I also tell people about that as well. It's like, if you have this recurring thought, even after you've 
had a new affirmation of something doesn't mean that it's not true. It's mm. the work that happens in the brain is it's literally like building a muscle, you know. Mm-hmm. First, if you haven't been lifting weights ever and you go to the gym and you lift some 10 pound weights for the first time, do a few reps of that, a few sets of that, it's not automatically you're going to be looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger after your first day in the gym. And it's like literally with this activity, it's a, it's a mental muscle that you have to exercise long term. So we talk about the long haul with that as well. Yeah. No, I love I love that. That makes sense to me because I've also had really awesome conversations and we have in my practice a rapid transformational therapist. So basically she's trying to like, she's like a microwave. Like she, she like gets people's subconscious thoughts and then they're automatically like, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. if you're going in the traditional route, I think you have to like repeat it, repeat it, repeat it until, mm-hmm. because I know that the subconscious mind definitely responds yeah. to repetition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. That's amazing. And our minds and just how we're wired, um, it's just amazing how if you do that, uh, I've read a few books by some psychiatrists that I like, well, neuroscientists, Dr. Daniel Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Oh, yes. Amen Clinics. Yeah, Amen Clinic. Yes. Um, his books uh, really changed the way that I thought about the brain. Um, change Your Brain, Change Your Life, and then The End of Mental Illness are two of the books that I've read. And just like literally the way he talks and discusses the brain saying that we're not stuck with the brains that we have, even when it comes Mm. to addictions Mm. and mental illnesses, like we're not stuck with that brain. Like it literally can be changed given the right kind of environment. And that's good. That's good. I'm going to have to check those books out. All right. (laughs) This has been amazing. So where can people find you online and where can they, if they want to work with you, how do they find you as well? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Mr. So Mr. K-L-Y-O-N-S, Mr. K Lyons. Um, that is my personal Instagram page and where I share a lot of my mental and holistic health advocacy stuff, as well as I have a YouTube channel, Carlos Lyons YouTube, uh, where I talk about food and nutrition are two of my major things and topics on there. But also I do some mental health work there as well. Um, I would love to still get you on my YouTube. So we're going to make that yeah. happen real, real soon. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then in addition to that, as far as like booking a session with me and my outpatient, I work at Lifeology Oak Cliff in Dallas, which is in the Bishop Arts area. If someone's from Dallas area, they may know where that is. Um, and so you can email me at Carlos. So that's K-A-R-L-O-S-L at wefixbrains.com. Or you can go to my Psychology Today profile. Just search for me under under the Find a Therapist tab. Just put in Carlos K. Lyons and you'll find me there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Carlos. This was an awesome conversation. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. And thank you so much again for having me. Attention, superfood lovers. You all may know by now that my favorite African superfood of all time is Moringa. Why? Moringa has 92 nutrients and 46 antioxidants, and every part of the amazing plant can be used. I personally use Moringa oil on my face twice a day, and then I also use Moringa powder to add to my smoothies, make Moringa bread, or sprinkle on meals for added nutrition from an amazing company called True Moringa. Founded in 2013, True Moringa is creating jobs and community with their amazing skincare and wellness products. The coolest part? Every time you make a purchase from True Moringa, they plant a tree in your name. Yes, child, to date they have planted over 2 million Moringa trees to combat deforestation and malnutrition in Ghana. 
To check out their awesome products, visit TrueMoringa.com and use the code RAWGIRL at checkout for 10% off and free shipping over $20. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of TheRawGirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who've worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. All right, it's time to take a question from Instagram or email. Remember, if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you got to do is slide up in my DMs on Instagram at therawgirl or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. Today's question is from Macy via Instagram who says, I find that I do great with a new habit for a while, but then once I slip up, I have a really difficult time implementing it again. Any tips? Hi, Macy. Thanks so much for reaching out. I feel like I might have covered this a little bit in the intro of this show, but I'm going to break it down further for you. One of my favorite mantras is don't break the chain, never miss twice. Habits are formed from repetition, and it sounds like you did a great job forming the habit, but then when your schedule changed, or maybe your energy was a little lower and you just weren't feeling it that day, or in general, when stuff in life happens, sometimes we lose the ability to sustain. So the best way to overcome this is to actually plan for it. We know we're going to fall off eventually. So the problem is, if one day becomes a week, which then becomes a month, and then becomes a year, and then we've completely fallen off the wagon. So as soon as you have an off day, what I want you to do is get right back to it the day after and plan to adjust and maybe even downsize your habits a bit if you're going through a major life change. So sometimes I have people focus in on like one key habit they know is going to spill in and allow them to make good behaviors. Like if they get their sleep, if they just focus in, like if they're going through a move or a job change or some sort of family crisis, it's like, what is, what is a really good habit that I can focus in on that will spill over and affect my rest of my decisions? So if I get my sleep, I'm, I'm more likely to have energy to exercise, or I'm more likely to maybe make a better a food choices. For some people, it's exercise. Sometimes when people exercise, they feel like they're more likely to stick to their diet or the, the kinds of foods that they want to consume. The other thing you want to pay attention to is, are your new habits in alignment with your lifestyle? Sometimes we want to have habits that don't actually fit our, our schedule long-term. I have clients who know that they're not morning people and they try to work out in the morning and then it fails. But as soon as they switch to the evening, things improve. So that's just an example. So don't work against yourself. Try to figure out how to make the new habit as easy as you can and actually make sure that it fits in and is tailored to your life so that you can use it and work with it longer term. I hope that helps you. Okay, y'all. I hope today's episode gave you some insights on how to break your bad habits or any addictions you may be struggling with and how to start implementing good habits that will improve your overall health and wellness. Today, I leave you with a quote by Carl Bard. Though no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending. 
Remember that your habits are the key to transforming your life and your health and overall well-being. So don't ever feel like it's too late. If you're looking for your own brand new ending, I challenge you to start making some changes this week. Well, that's all for today, sis. If you're looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at the raw girl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, therawgirl.com. For more on the show or to listen to past episodes, visit stayingagelessshow.com. To watch the interview on video from this and past podcast episodes, subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash the raw girl. Mm-hmm.